Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Okay, if you got a Bible, let's open up for Mark 6. And I will pray for us one more time. Lord, uh, would you show up? Would you bless the work of our hands? Um, Would you bless the words, the thoughts? Transform us, grow us up, deepen us, mature us, sustain us, give us spiritual fiber in our soul uh, to persevere over the long haul through all the hardships and disappointments. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 6. And we're going to look here at the feeding of the 5,000 and see what we can learn, okay? So Mark chapter 6, let's start in verse 29. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. So this is John the Baptist has just had his head chopped off. Now, um, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, uh, six months different in age. Uh, you know, they were the two prophets of the day. Obviously, Jesus is much more than a prophet, but he's certainly not less than a prophet. John the Baptist was the forerunner. John the Baptist had baptized him. His, their ministries up until this point had been very similar in many ways. There had to be some type of closeness and affection. I mean, just Christ and his humanity in a unique way for John the Baptist. So he's probably struggling with some sadness, some grief, right? It's not sin to be sad. It's not sin to grieve. Um, and then look at verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. So this is after, uh, we looked at this, I guess the last time we were together yesterday, when Jesus sent them out two by two to preach, after they had been appointed apostles. They've come back, and they're reporting. So there's probably, the human level, some sense of they're tired, they're weary, they're sad, they're overwhelmed, and Jesus is going to say, let's get away for a while. Okay, And we're going to look at... Uh, how does Jesus respond with practicality, with pity, and with power? Okay, so practicality. Um, start in verse 31. And he, add, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So the first point is going to almost seem uh, like a moot point. Like, why are you even having to say this? But if you've been working with Campus Outreach long enough, you'll understand. There's a good place for practicality in ministry. It's not sinful to be practical. It's not uh, unspiritual to be practical. I mean, I, I tell people a lot, listen, I want to be biblical first. If the Bible speaks clearly to it, then I want to obey whatever the Bible says, even if it feels totally unpractical. But then secondarily, if the Bible doesn't speak to it, then I want to be a pragmatist. I want to be a utilitarian. What works? And I think that's a good way to live life. Now, let me, how does this flesh itself out in campus ministry? A lot of times you have somebody new come on staff, and you may be trying to talk to them about uh, what would be the best target group for them on campus. And maybe they really want to work with athletes. So you're saying, I really think you should spend more time working with, uh, you know, Dave and I were even having a conversation kind of like this, similar area. I want you to spend more time working with a football team than the basketball team. Why? Because God loves football players more than basketball players. Of course not, right? Why? Because football teams tend to have 80 to 110 people on them. 
And basketball teams tend to max out at 15 people. You, you, there's a broader reach you're going to be able to impact more people in a shorter amount of time on the football team than you're on the basketball team. That's just practical. Now, the reality is, every once in a while we'll have somebody come on staff, or maybe we'll have a student leader. A couple of y'all were asking questions yesterday that makes me think that some of y'all have a student leader like this who's like, I just don't even want a target group. I don't believe in target groups. I don't see target groups in the Bible. You ever heard of stuff like that? Right? Well, I never heard of cars in the Bible either, but you drive one every day. Just because something's not in the Bible doesn't mean it's sinful. Okay? And well, they say, they say well, what are you going to do? They say, I'm, man, I'm just going to drive to campus and I'm just going to walk around and whoever the Holy Spirit leads me to talk to, that's who I'll talk to. Well, that's a type of target group. It's just not a very good type. Right? I mean, you're targeting the campus, right? You said you're going to drive to the campus. You didn't say you're going to drive to the old folks' home. You've already made one decision to go to the campus, not there. I'm just saying, refine it a little bit more and figure out what freshman dorm you're going to spend all your time in rather than just being a scattershot. Does that make sense? There's practical considerations. And I'm just telling you, you do discipleship long enough, you're going to have to have that argument with somebody. Yes, I want to obey the Bible. Or the Bible doesn't speak, I want to be practical. And what I'm trying to show you is Jesus was practical. They'd been out doing ministry. He's like, we got to get away. People are banging on our door all the time. It's part of what we were talking about yesterday. I know you guys are exhausted. Y'all been traveling. Y'all been preaching. There is a time to say no to ministry opportunities. There is a time for rest. There's a time to close the door. There's a time to turn off the phone. There's a time to go. Take, I mean, you stay in ministry long enough, and you'll, you'll start to deal with really horrific situations. And there will even have to be times in the middle of, like, really horrific situations where you just say, I can't deal with this anymore. And somebody might say, well, what if something just cataclysmic happens? It's like... God's sovereign. And I don't mean that in a cold way. But you're not God. I'm not God. It's good to practically think about your health, okay, rest, your capacity, all of those things. Uh, I'll give you another example in a different context. I remember a guy that had graduated from Campus Outreach, and he'd come to Briarwood Church, and you know, he started his business, and he joined it. He's like, man, I'm going to start a small group at church, and it's going to be like a Campus Outreach group. It's not going to be like all these other stupid church groups. And like, what are you talking about? He's like, all these groups that meet at the church, you know, they meet for like 10 weeks during the fall, and then they take like two months off for Christmas, and then 10 weeks in the spring, and they take the whole summer off. He's like, I'm going to have a group, and we're never going to take a break. We're never going to miss a week. Christmas, Thanksgiving, doesn't matter. How long do you think that lasted, right? <laughs> it's just not practical. It's just not realistic. It's good to be practical. Yeah. But, as I've said multiple times, there's a ditch on both sides of the road, right? You can try to have this super hyper spirituality that doesn't believe in practicality and that will not work and you'll just be weird in the process, okay? But there's another ditch on the other side of the road and unfortunately a lot of Presbyterians like to fall in this ditch where we can be uber practical and we can miss pity. We can miss passion, you know, compassion for people. Sometimes our favorite verse can be, everything should be done decently and in order. So look at what's going to happen here. Verse 33. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So again, you see his heart. I mean, I kind of referenced this yesterday. But Jesus is like, we need to get away from the crowds. We're all exhausted. We need some rest. 
Let's get in the boat. Let's try to get away. And the crowds are so desperate and hungry. It's like they have a sprint around the lake. And by the time they get out of the boat, the crowd's already there waiting. And Jesus says, well, I guess we'll, I guess we'll feed them. I guess we'll teach them. Okay? Here's an interesting study to do at some point. Read through all the Gospels and just, you know, really drill down deep when it talks about an emotion of Jesus. Anybody want to guess what's the one emotion that shows up in the life of Jesus in the gospel accounts more than any other emotion? Clearly, hands down. Compassion. Right? Literally, it's this sense of he's moved in his guts with passion and love and pity for people. Okay? In his inner man, it goes out to them. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now the disciples think, we're being practical, Jesus. We're being good practical leaders. We're thinking ahead. We're planning ahead. It's getting late. Sun's going down. This is desolate. We need to go ahead and send them so they don't have to be journeying in the dark. Okay? They, they probably think we're about to get bonus points. We're going to get like a little merit badge on our you know, discipleship ribbon or something for being such good practical leaders. That's not what they're going to get. Verse 37, he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? Now, what's going on here? Because he knows what he's about to do. Okay? It says that. If you go read, this is the only miracle that shows up in all four gospel accounts. Just think about that for a second. We'll come back to that in a minute. But if you read the account in John chapter 6, verse 6, it says that Jesus was testing them. Well, how's it? What's the test? I think he's trying to say pity matters more than practicality, love matters more than having a good, practical, realistic, reasonable plan. Now, the ideal is those two things work together, right? Try not to pit them together. I mean, pit them against one another. But there will be seasons in your life where it feels like the practical implications strike against the loving implications. And when in doubt, when it's gray, when it's unclear, choose love. Choose mercy. Choose to be gracious. Okay? Now listen, I'm gonna, let me give you an example here, and I could give you a lot of examples. Because like I said, if, if you know anything about me, that there, there may be nobody else on planet Earth that loves practicality, okay, productivity, effectiveness, efficiency more than me. Okay? And so that can be good in some places. It can also be really detrimental to loving well. So one of the people that the Lord has placed in my life right now to love is my mother-in-law. And she is a mess. There's... there's physical health issues, there's mental health issues, and we're trying to do everything we can, or that's, that's not true, we're trying to do a lot <laughs> to help her, to love her, and it's one of these kind of people that keeps making self-destructive decisions. Does that make sense? So you set them up in a very nice apartment, and then three and a half weeks later, they basically ruined it. And so, where I want to go in my flesh is, she's a grown woman. You know, she made her bed, let her lie in it. Because what usually happens is, it's, it seems like usually when we get the call that something has gone really bad wrong and we need to go out there and fix something or help something or take her to the doctor, it usually tends to either happen on my day off or when date night was about to happen. 
right? And so me and my wife get to go spend Friday night for two or three hours cleaning up all sorts of disgusting stuff. And, and the best thing for me is just don't talk because if I say anything, it's not going to be nice, right? But, but, and I'm just thinking, this isn't fair. This isn't right. She's made so many stupid decisions. She's wasted so much money. But, you know, and I just, I, I want to find what's the easiest, simplest way to fix this. But I have to just sit there and say, I've got to be loving. I've got to be gentle. I've got to be patient. She's made in God's image. She's a believer. She's family. Now, again, it doesn't mean that you totally throw practical considerations out the window. But when in doubt and when they seem to conflict, you let love lead. Does that make sense? And, and I'm saying that. And I want it to be implicated in our discipleship ministry. And I'm saying that in light of everything I've said so far. That, that doesn't mean you say yes to everybody in your discipleship. You know, that ever wants to be discipled by you. I gave you some examples yesterday. There's a place for practicality in choosing who you will minister to, who you will say yes to, who will say no to. You're not the Messiah. You can't do everything. But when in doubt, when it's in conflict, choose love. Okay, right. First Corinthians 13, you can speak with the tongues of men and angels. You can be willing to be a martyr, like literally. But if you don't have love for people, you have nothing. Make sure you love people. Okay. And model it well. I mean, G- Jesus beat up the Pharisees on this a lot, right? I mean, he was more than once saying to them, go find out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire compassion. And we don't want Jesus to say, hey, you know what? You were an expert at ministry strategy, but you shouldn't love people well. When it's done right, guys, the strategy should serve the love. Does that make sense? So when I gave that example earlier, should the brand-new staff guy target the football team and the basketball team? What I'm saying is you get to love more people if you target the football team. That's a good strategy. It's serving love. It's reaching more people. That's good. So... You want a strategy that serves love and not a strategy and a practical, you know, method of ministry that strikes against love. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And sometimes it's not going to be clear and it's going to be a wrestle and you've got to talk to your supervisor and you've got to pray. But when in doubt, right, I mean, so Friday night, this, this past Friday, I had a really long day. I had a lot going on. I was overwhelmed. I'm trying to get ready to come down here for this trip. This is two or three days ago. And, you know, my wife is trying to be a good wife, so she said, hey, I'm about to go out to mom's. And I just said, just wait a minute, I'll go with you. She's like, no, you don't have to go. And she's being a good wife. She's like, you got too much going on, you don't have to go. And I was that close to saying, you're right, I do have a lot going on. I don't need to go. Right, and there's that battle in my heart. I mean, I had the practical way out. She's giving it to me. And I wanted to take it so bad. But by God's grace, I had a spirit-filled moment. I said, no, just give me a minute and I'll come. And it was a hard decision, but it was the right decision. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I just say this. Where in your life right now are you failing to love well? And maybe it's not in ministry. Maybe it's at home. Or maybe it is in ministry. Maybe you have a disciple that really is hungry, but they really are annoying. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. Okay, I mean, right, every once in a while it's like, sometimes you really like the people you're discipling. And other times it's like, I don't really like this person. 
They're not fun. They're not easy. But if they're spiritually hungry, you need to keep showing up and feeding them. I remember hearing John Piper talk one time. And uh, before I say this, let me say this. Everybody that I've ever talked to in my entire life that like works with mercy ministry, homeless ministry, and I don't, okay? I'm, that is not my gifting. I'm not into, right? But people that like do this full-time mercy ministry, every person I've ever talked to, read a book on, they will say, let me just see if you can guess, when you pass the random homeless person and they ask you for some money, should you give them money, yes or no? What do you think the consistent answer I get every single time is? No. Everybody tells me no. Because the statistics are they always use it on drugs and alcohol. You know, don't do it. So you want to take them somewhere and buy them food or clothes or put them in a hotel room? Great to do that kind of stuff. Take them to a shelter. Never give them just cash. That's what I've been told by numerous people that do this for full-time ministry. Now, I'm not trying to make that argument. If you're like, I'd love to give money. And I heard Piper preaching a sermon one time. Yeah, Piper's really smart, right? Piper's really logical. But he said, listen, when you're trying to make the decision, do I give $5 to the homeless guy, yes or not? He said, the most important thing is not did you get scammed or taken advantage of, yes or no. He said, the most important thing is did you act in love? You know, it doesn't mean give them cash. Because if you really believe the statistics, you'll say, I don't want to support this person's drug habit. That's not helping them. But just know your own heart. Know your own heart. Does that make sense? Again, what it means for me a lot of times is I'm like, you know, when I've had, and I don't run into a ton of homeless people, but when I have, it's like I do feel the compulsion to say, no, I'm not going to give you any money. I will take you into this store right here and buy you food or whatever you want, you know. And, um, but I don't like doing that. I'd, I'll be honest, I'd rather give them $5. You know why? Because I love my time. And you know how long that takes? Five seconds. You know how long it takes to go in the store and do all that? I might be there half an hour. Where are we struggling to love well? Third point is this. There's power. When we will lead with love, there'll be power. Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now probably this is like five <coughs> barley loaves and some pickled sardines or something. It's a little boy's lunch, little rolls. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of broken pieces and also the fish. Why do you think this miracle and not any of the others showed up in all four Gospels? I mean, Jesus did it in such a way to involve all of them. Hey, all of you are going to be passing out the bread, and then all of you are going to be taking up the leftovers when it's over. And he ordained it so that they were all going to have their own basket. I mean, he burned this into their memory forever. I remember this little basket of this little boy's lunch. And then I remember my own basket of leftovers, and there were 11 other baskets of leftovers. What do you think that did for their confidence the rest of their life in ministry? Right? I mean, even remember the language that Jesus used in John 21 to Peter when he was talking about ministry. How did he talk about ministry to Peter? 
What was the verb he used? Feed. Feed my people. Nourish them. Give them spiritual food. Guys, there have been so many times in my 20 plus years of ministry, whether I'm coming home from a fraternity Bible study or speaking at a campus meeting, and I didn't feel like it went very good. Ever been there? Maybe you prepared really hard. And when you're like in, you know, you're doing your sermon prep or whatever, you're like, this is going to be the greatest sermon of all time. And then you get there and for some reason it just doesn't land. And even you, as you're giving, you're like, this is terrible. What am I talking about? How can I end this, right? Or same thing. Or maybe it's like, I didn't prepare. I was so in a hurry. I was so overwhelmed. I just showed up to the fraternity Bible study. I just wing it. And it's like, it terribly falls flat. Or people don't come, or people leave early, or people seem bored, or people fall asleep. Or I mean, just there have been so many times where I'm driving back home after feeling like a failure, and I just say, Hey, Lord, will you take my five loaves and two fish of effort, and will you bless it, and you'll multiply it? And at some point, guys, the only reason I'm still here doing this kind of ministry is that God's answered that prayer, yes. You just pray that way. God, take my little tiny efforts, my little tiny preparation, my tiny words, and bless it and multiply. I mean, it's likely that Jesus fed a crowd that day of 20,000 people with a lunch that was prepared for one. What can he do with even our weakest efforts? William Hendrickson says, they must be the means, the disciples, they must be the means in God's hands to supply the spiritual needs of the people. Is that the way you think of yourself? I mean, we, you know, we like to use that thing, we're the, we're the hands and the feet of Jesus, but it's something, we're, we're the mouthpiece of Jesus. We don't speak the truth to people well. If we don't model it for them well, they, they, they may never see it. So we will often feel overwhelmed in hard ministry situations. I don't have time, I don't have resources. And listen, I know there have been times in my life where I have overcommitted, I haven't planned well, and so I get late in the week, and it's like I've got too much to do that I've committed to, and I just cannot going to get it all. And it's my fault because of poor practical planning, right? And listen, you need to repent when you do that. You don't need to say, I'm just out here sacrificing for Jesus being a martyr. No, you were a dumb planner. <laughs> you know, plan better. Know your capacity. Know how much sleep you need. Know how much time with your family. Know what something's going to take you. Listen, you're new on staff. That takes a while to figure out. At my stage, I should know better. Plan well. Be practical. But, by God's grace, I have gotten pretty good at planning. And, And here's the kind of weeks that I run into a lot now. Where I have planned really well. But like I said... I like practicality, effectiveness, and efficiency. One of my wife's nicknames for me is razor-thin margins because I don't like margins in my life, okay? You know, it's like I have my time packed in. So when a crisis pops up, as they sometimes do, there's no extra time. Now, we can debate about is that the best use of my practical planning skills, yes or no. But here's the point. I can't tell you guys how many times I've had weeks or days even where I feel like I've been faithful in my planning. I'm not saying I'm sinlessly perfect, but I've been faithful. And then as I'm looking at the to-do list for that day or that week, I'm like, because two or three crises have popped up, right? Somebody has to talk to you. They'll only deal with you. And I really feel like, Lord, I, 
There's no way I can get to all this. And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed a prayer like that. And like literally before, it's like I haven't even formulated the words in my mouth. The thought just goes through my mind. And somebody texts me and says, hey man, I hate this. Something came up, i got to cancel lunch. I mean, that, that happens to me so often. So please hear me. I want you to be the best practical planner you can be. But when the crisis comes up in somebody's life that demands an act of love, go there. And trust God to meet you in the messy middle and give you the power you need. Maybe he'll give you more energy on four hours of sleep that one day. Maybe he'll make somebody else cancel. Who who knows? But just walk in faith, trusting him to meet you. Warren Wiersbe says, In the crisis hours of life, when your resources are low and your responsibilities are great, it is good to remember that God already has the problem solved. Isn't that good? I mean, when we're at our worst, kind of worrying, you know, like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what God's doing? He's just sitting on his throne like, I got this. I got this. I know what I'm going to do. And we need to have a sense of, I don't know what I'm going to do, God. I know what you're going to do. I'm just going to keep walking forward. Right? You remember the story in the Old Testament where they were carrying the ark? And he said, just walk. And when your feet touch the water, it'll split. And they're like, there's a sea. It doesn't look like it's going to split anytime soon. And they were supposed to just keep walking forward. And when their feet touched, it split. Plan your best. Live out of love. Move forward. Again, William Henderson again. Okay. This pointed to the majesty, the power, and the glory of Christ. And his ability and his willingness to supply every need. Okay. Um, just, just remember, there's multiple times in the disciples' life. Send the crowds away. Send the little kids away. Send that Gentile woman away that's begging for you to do a miracle, Jesus. I mean, this is a theme in their life. Send them away. Too much going on, Jesus. And Jesus was always like, no, 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 let the little children come. No, 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 let the crowd stay. No, 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 bring the Gentile woman closer. Okay. Who is it in your life and specifically, who is it maybe in your campus ministry that's the hardest for you to love? That everything in you is screaming, send them away. Who can I delegate this person to? <laughs> and it might be that you need to be saying, no, 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 come closer. I need to love this person. I need to let the Lord work through me. Okay? I have a mentor, and he has this phrase that he says, talking about relationships, he says, stay warmly present. Right? Be there with the person and stay warm. Because a lot of times we're dealing with people like this, okay? I mean, I'll just be honest. I mean, just so you don't think I'm trying to make myself look good. I went and served my mother-in-law Friday night. I was not warmly present. I was coldly present, right? No, I think that's better than nothing. But I should have been there, and I should have been gracious. I should have been kind. I should have been compassionate. I should have been gentle. That would have been so much better than being there with an angry spirit. You know, I'm cleaning stuff up. Why? Why do we want to send people away? Or even if we keep ministering to them, do we do it kind of out of this cold, hard, angry, bitter spirit? I I think it's the scarcity mentality. I don't have enough. I'm tired. This was supposed to be my night off. Right? I've already worked 40 hours this week. Guys, 
let love drive you and keep you warmly present. Because aren't you glad Jesus doesn't take days off? Right? I have some real big, important prayer requests right now. Up, oh, wait till tomorrow. Now, be real careful with that, right? He neither sleeps nor slumbers. And we do sleep and slumber. We're not the Messiah. We have to rest. Okay? But I've got to experience his love for me and then out of the overflow, live and minister to others. You know, as I was thinking about this story, one of the people that I kind of tried to think about for a few minutes is this. The little boy. The little boy had planned well. Maybe his mom had planned well for him or his dad, or maybe he was just a responsible little boy. He had done his due diligence that day. All these other stupid people in the crowd, right? The 19,999 other people were stupid. We're going to go hear Jesus preach. Chased him around the lake, and it's like, oh, no, we don't have any food. Not this little boy. He said, I'm going to hear Jesus. I'm packing a lunch. I'm planning on being there all day. And when it came time for dinner time, Jesus said, can I have your lunch? I mean, he practically planned, but he had to give his lunch up. He had to say, okay, Jesus, I trust you to take my practical plans, sacrifice them, give them away, and you're going to do something better. I mean, you think that little boy later was disappointed? I didn't get to eat my lunch by myself. I mean, he probably had a great story. Hey, Mom, you got to hear what happened to my fish sandwich today. Pretty amazing. So... We've got to be willing to take our best plans, our best efforts, our best gifts, and then just say, Lord, use them however you want to. Bless them however you want to. I'm, guys, I hope you all hear my thought process in this. I am not saying don't plan. I'm saying plan really well. Prepare really well. But then pray God bless the work of my hands. Because if you don't bless the work of my hands, it won't work. And then as you start moving forward in your plans, you hold your plans really open-handedly. So if it doesn't go exactly the way you want it, you don't get your heart all twisted out of shape. Because you're not in charge. And neither I am. Am I? He is. Okay? So keep showing up. Keep being warmly present. And when it's hard to do, remember, that's how he showed up for us. And this warmly present, loving, gentle, patient, kind, sacrificial way. Look back at verse 41 for just a second. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and he broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them and he divided up the two fish among them all. The verbs there, he took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. You know where those four verbs are going to show up again? almost in that exact same pattern in the Greek? Supper. At the Lord's Supper. This is my body. Take, eat. He took, he blessed, he broke, he gave his own body, his literal body for us on the cross, his life to save us, to spiritually nourish us. So the phrase, giving your life away, you ever use that? I mean, that's what discipleship really is. You're giving your life away. That means more than just life-on-life life modeling. It means really there's going to be a sacrificial sense of giving away some of your free time, some of your energy, some of your resources. Especially when my kids were <coughs> about the age David's are now, okay? 
Everybody got to see David's cute kids running around last night. I remember, and listen, I think for the most part, I did a pretty good job of work-life family balance, right? I don't, I don't think I was a workaholic for Jesus, and neither was I, you know, idolizing the family and never going to campus. I think, by God's grace, I had a pretty good balance. And I'm saying that because after this story, don't come up and rebuke me, okay? But the reality is, you have four kids, and you work in college ministry, you're not going to make it to every ballgame. Just not going to happen. You're not going to be there every night to read them stories when they go to bed. Just not going to happen. And I can remember when there would be long days where maybe I had to get up early to go to some elders meeting or something, and then it was gone all day and on campus at night, and by the time I got home, all my kids were asleep. And you guys with kids ever had that experience, right? And you, you can wrestle right then with something. Maybe a little guilt, maybe a little sadness, maybe a little questioning, am I really doing the best thing? And so there would be many nights where I'd come in and I'd realize, you know, my oldest son, he kind of slept right beside the uh, downstairs door. He's already asleep. He's already asleep. They're all asleep. And I, I just, I'd be like, God, you better use what I'm doing with campus. You better bless the work of my hands. I mean, I'm sacrificing. And I, and I tried to pray it humbly, right? But it's like, Lord, I'm, I'm sacrificing time with my own kids for these knuckleheads on the campus. Somebody better get saved. Right? Somebody better become a leader. Somebody, I, you know, I need like an Apostle Paul to come out here. So. And, and, and guys, I'm, I really though, I'm just telling you, that, that's a good heart tension to live in the rest of your life. Richard Pratt, great Old Testament teacher, runs Third Mills Ministry. He said balance in this world, it's not like you find balance is like, look at me, I'm balanced. <laughs> balance is more like you're standing on the deck of a ship that's in a storm. And so you're always kind of having to readjust. Does that make sense? Be practical. Be loving. Try to do both at the same time. When you can't do both at the same time, or it seems like you can't do both at the same time, choose love over practicality. But always be praying and begging God's power to show up and bless the work of your hands. Father, do this for us. Give us the wisdom we need to live in the balance and the tension of this life. Lord, to take care of our families, to take care of ourselves and our body and our mental health and all of that. But God, we don't want to become weak pansies that are just always pampering ourselves. We want to live sacrificially like you have lived for us. And yet we know we're not God. We, we can't 100% give our lives away the way that you've given your life away for us. So give us wisdom to know the balance of taking care of ourselves but when in doubt, sacrificing for others and bless the work of our hands. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching. 